and welcome to Word Up, a series of podcasts hosted by Oxford University Press with Helen Prince and guests. In this podcast, we talk a great deal about curriculum implementation. So I thought we'd start off with a little message, quote, from Christine Council. She says, the core knowledge you want pupils to remember is supported by an equally important hinterland, the little examples, the stories the illustrations, the richness, the dwelling on this but not that, and the times when you as a teacher go off-piste with your passion. Love that. Delighted this morning to welcome to our podcast an incredible colleague, Kat Howard. Kat is Head of Professional Learning for Large Mat. Uh, she's a writer of Stop Talking About Wellbeing and co-author of Symbiosis, and the founder of Lit Drive UK, a charity dedicated to providing resources and CPD for English teachers worldwide. Kat, what an amazing thing to do. Huge welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Helen. It's an absolute pleasure. Oh, we're really, really chuffed you can join us. Um, I've had a little bit of a stalk about, about what <laughs> Kat Howard does and what she's up to and found out that actually you didn't start off in the teaching profession, but you started off in the financial sector. I did, yeah. I kind of found my way here. So I was a, a career changer. Um, I spent some time working for one of the leading high street banks um, as area manager for the Northwest region. Um, but my my remit was um, recruitment and retention. So really about how we look after um, colleagues coming into the sector, and then and then really measuring um, and kind of working out um, why why they why they left either the the sector or, or the particular organisation that I was working. So it's incredibly interesting to kind of pick that up when coming into teaching mm. and the, the nuances of teaching and, and how that um, how we can draw some similarities, but how how teaching is also incredibly bespoke, I think, in terms of retention as well, and, and what we can do to maybe think a little bit more carefully about um, about yeah how we how we hang on to people, I think, within the profession. Yeah, interesting transition. What was the catalyst? What made you think? Do you know what I want to surround myself with fourteen year old kids every day <laughs> I and, and I was so I was so far from that I remember it being suggested to me at a careers interview when I was 15 and kind of almost laughing in the, the poor woman's face because <laughs> I, it was just so far from what I ever anticipated for myself to teach um, I ended up actually coming back from I was in Cyprus for I lived in Cyprus for about 18 months and came back and um, wanted to to study a degree and decided on English because it was the only thing I'd ever really felt you know truly in love with and as part of that that period of time I volunteered in primary school for the um the right to reading campaign that was Mm. that was for me at the time and where they were signing volunteers up and went into school and read with a series of pupils and one pupil and we were sat there reading an animal book and um, we got to a giraffe and he didn't know what a giraffe was we came to a complete standstill. We couldn't have yeah. a conversation about it. And I thought, God, like, imagining, imagine that this is your, you know, the only experience of the world and the transportation that books can really, you know, that take yeah. children yeah. on such a journey. And we need to help you to be able to do that. And I want to be part of that. And so it, it really, that was kind of the, yeah, the, the seed that, that ended up um, avalanching and, and becoming, you know, my, my career to date, I suppose. What a great story. I see I've got visions of you now as be behaving like a giraffe for that child. <laughs> to, to try I, and show. I mean, the, the misconceptions that could have <laughs> <Yeah>. arisen. <laughs> 
awesome. <laughs> yeah, isn't it interesting how those those individual experiences actually can be real signposts in the road for us and take us on a different avenue. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll never I'll never forget that child, and I, and I also you know I think that's it's really important that we remember that that duty that we have that obligation that we have to. Um, provide children with an experience that doesn't just make sense of the world around them but takes them outside of that that's that's so important yeah absolutely we're going to have a little talk about curriculum implementation and I wondered what you felt effective curriculum implementation really looks like in schools I think that leads on very nicely from from that from giraffes point yeah there is a tedious link there I can assure you I think that um when we're talking about effective implementation in regards to curriculum I think there's this increasing urgency to really have some fidelity to the subject itself um we're seeing some incredible work going on now in regards to curriculum development in schools and that being part of an ongoing conversation rather than just you know an annual review and a start Mm. point that happens once or twice a year and that's really pleasing to see and I think our our next steps now are maybe to start thinking about how we ensure that we remain faithful to the subject so that whole school curriculum review um, really really does attend to the subject itself so that we're not having conversations maybe about you know one size fits all approaches Mm. but but actually as I said that we um that we think about our, the nature of our subjects and how it's designed and how we're repackaging that and presenting it to students so that they have um an understanding of the national curriculum obviously that's our starting point but yeah. I, I really think that should be emphasized that we're providing again that student experience are we providing students so with an English hat on am I providing mm. students with an experience that means that they're going to understand English in in the way that it's designed when they reach it to an academic level am I providing students with an experience so that when they go into the world they don't just see English as a functional tool but actually they can have conversations about literature in order to make sense of of um, of the world in order to contextualize particular experiences for them and so for me, if, if we're looking at implementation, if we're looking at um, curriculum reviewing scores, that needs to be a vital component of looking at the student experience. What does it feel like mm. for a student to progress through your curriculum? Yes, what what do they what will they learn? How yeah. will they learn it? But actually, how will they remember it over time? So, what will be their their kind of leaving moments when they they leave your your institution of that particular subject? And was that really a faithful packaging of the subject itself? Have they understood what what English looks like? What history yeah. looks like? And the possibilities that that can lead them on to. And so, I think whilst that might be quite vast um, Mm. and and terrifying sometimes, I think at the same time, that's what makes curriculum review really exciting because um, there's that infinite nature to it, I think, that it it, it makes it quite an an addictive experience, I think, for teachers and leaders to think about. Yeah, I'm just just remembering those conversations because I think actually this is one of, if not the most fabulous thing to be discussing with your teams I know as a head of English one of the loveliest and most creative moments of my role was crafting the journey for year seven crafting that journey for year eight what does it look like what do we want them to achieve okay these are the, these are the end points how do we get there yeah what's the what's the diet within our four walls that 
It's going to enable them to go on and be exciting members of society who've got a whole wealth of experience and culture. And what that's doing for your for your teams along the way, because those conversations in the same way that um, I always say, never underestimate when I'm talking about well-being, never underestimate the value of a decent curriculum, because that really does pull people in to be really motivated and fired up and excited to to teach. So effective implementation for me isn't just um, to serve pupils. That's our first and foremost. That's our mm. duty. Mm. But a, a really nice byproduct of that is is what we're doing with with building um, you know subject communities and and subcultures within within organisations as a whole. And that's really exciting. It's about being ambitious with that curriculum, isn't it? And if we're being ambitious, what does that actually look like? What's how does that translate into Tuesday morning with Year Nine? <laughs> or Friday afternoon or Friday afternoon (laughs) yeah absolutely um I love your phrase you said that fidelity to the subject fidelity is one of my favorite words beautiful I love that idea we're being really mindful with the holders of our subject area for so many young lives aren't we yeah, and, and, and it's understanding, okay, well, how does how does our pedagogical knowledge um, attend to that fidelity? How are we ensuring that when we're yeah. talking about retrieval practice or we're talking about explicit instruction and all of these um, kind of best bet tools that we that we know will help our students to learn, how are we still ensuring that they're designed in such a way that we're, we're diverting students' attention to the right things in our subject? For example, yeah. if, you know, if, I'm teaching, if I'm teaching Macbeth, I definitely want to make sure that I'm not avoiding the poor to see and you know and and where am I where am I drawing from the knowledge that's come before of metaphor before I even go into teaching that scene and and having those conversations about um pedagogical tools in alignment with subject specialism I think is is so useful for our um for our teachers um but also really really interesting stuff to talk about you know well he has a wee doesn't he and that always engages the cages <laughs> our kids. Paul's exactly. having a wee behind the but gate. ultimately, when they leave in year 11, I don't want that to be the only thing they talk to the porter. No, absolutely. <laughs> and if it's Romeo and Juliet, we don't want them to just say that they shot each other. No. <laughs> um, so what are, what are the barriers? What are, our, what are our persistent problems around this? Because this isn't easy, what we're talking about. No, it's really sticky. I think mm. some of the, um, the the whole school barriers or whole trust barriers um, are um, creating the right conditions. Um, so there's a great deal of leverage from kind of a senior leadership point of view in thinking about how we're communicating the curriculum's priority. Um, it is it is our biggest lever as a as a as a school as a school community in changing the outcomes for students' lives. Yeah. And so if we're if we're saying that if we're really being quite bold in that statement, we we need to match that with our actions by thinking about how we're making use of time at whole school level. I think, and that comes down to um, perhaps sometimes. We're having conversations that are operational and we're bringing people together for meetings that are operational, that um, perhaps that that work could be done in a different way. And we can hand over that, that time to having developmental conversations yeah. instead. So if we're saying curriculum is important, we can't just we can't just say it. We have to allocate regular time and that can sometimes present as a barrier. Um, I think also um, that there can be sometimes a blanket approach or lethal mutations. I think the what of the curriculum, so what should appear on on my English curriculum, for Mm. example, um, that's quite a straightforward, yes, of course, we have ongoing debates within our subject, but that is quite a straightforward in terms of, you know, we know that Shakespeare is definitely going to be there, Mm. he sustains and things like that. The what 
we, we kind of have, um, we, we've got our act together in that sense, but as to how we go about that and how we make sure that we're not just saying, okay, well, everybody in maths and English and science and history and art, we're all going to start our lessons in this way, then we're all going to deliver it in this way and everything is going to look the same because it's a, a whole school approach. Actually, that that kind of, it comes back to that fidelity of the subject. So I think sometimes particular aspects of curriculum development get really legally mutated and we see you know um, things like knowledge organizers and tools that can be incredibly helpful for students um, maybe not necessarily be as effective as they could be for the subject because we've tried to roll it out at a whole school level rather than just about okay well how does this need to great as a whole school we're going to have knowledge organizers for example but then how how is our particular subject knowledge organizer going to going to um, going to serve our subject so I think that can be a, a really persistent problem sometimes yeah interesting and making it work for you I you know I remember those whole school initiatives coming out and unless it really felt valuable for us it's really difficult to get on board with something that you feel is an additional layer that doesn't actually make a difference in what it is you're trying to achieve yeah, and I also think that um, even the very best of ideas, if they're poorly implemented, will fall apart. And it's like mm. I said, we, we, we know the what and we understand the value of that. But if we're not communicating the value of it to teachers when we when we implement something, then it becomes a little bit tricky because you, you need teachers to feel part of the process. For, for one and yeah. um, so how are we implementing these ideas as a as a collective pursuit and um, but also if we explain the rationale as to why we think this thing is needed so that it doesn't feel like an additional thing it feels like an integrated part of our practice what we want to do is anything that we're implementing in regards to curriculum mm. should feel like it's benefiting the yeah. teacher classroom and if it doesn't do that then I, I would argue that it you know it needs to come down to a, a litmus test of you know does it improve teacher experience the student experience um is it is it going to take time away um from something else if it does that's fine but but we need to make sure that time is available we need to remove something else from the to-do list in order to say okay this this is important curriculum development is important so in collaboration that's maybe how we should begin to address this do you do you have any other advice other advice in how do we begin to address this in our schools yeah, I think I think the curriculum development has maybe historically in some settings been um, communicated as a holy grail as such. Um, mm. I mean, if you're a head of department, you, it was you it was your job to kind of go away and and put together a curriculum and you know sat in a room on your own putting these jigsaw pieces together and then you <laughs> up and present it to your team um, and that's what they teach and and actually we're kind of doing ourselves a disservice there because we have such a wealth of expertise in um in department at at faculty level um you know are we having conversations um I would ask subject leaders and teachers are we having conversations around your specialism Mm. um, about what your dissertation was on if you have Mm. a mass in a particular area um if you're quite passionate and you read around a particular um you know you can speak to any English teacher and they will will tell you their specialism um and and you know really go to town on that and and actually, are we are we having those conversations in schools? And I think that's a fantastic way to, to really mitigate against these persistent problems because we move further away from our holy grail, one or two people driving curriculum practice, and it becomes far more developmental. You can start to make choices around 
pairing people or clustering people so that they're um, they're in a position where you know we might put our our novice teacher who doesn't necessarily who's a linguist for example with mm-hmm. our Shakespeare expert to work, work on a particular unit of work yeah. and um and yeah those, those conversations really start to to mitigate against our our concerns or, or trepidation that we might have around blanket approaches because those teachers then start to ask questions well actually how, how does that look in our subject how does retrieval practice maybe lend itself to what I'm trying to teach um and you have really empowered subjects teams I think then um, yeah. within schools absolutely that stronger together vibe is really st- strong now I hope and feel that we're, we're much more collaborative I think we're much more willing to share our ideas but also to admit that there are things well not even admit that's the wrong word but to share that there are things we feel less confident with or we are less aware of and and to play the strengths of our team I think I think it probably does take quite confidence for certainly in your earlier years in your profession to say do you know what I'm not an expert in this area I mean I don't know how it was when when you started teaching Helen but when I started you were handed a book and it was you know just keep two keep two weeks ahead of the of the class and you'll be fine because you're the expert when actually I I haven't I haven't read every book (laughs) which is almost this assumption that we make of of teachers coming into English teachers coming into the profession that you know they've read the entire back catalogue of all literature that's ever been written and you can put them in front and they'll be good to go and actually rephrase that um that mindset that subject knowledge is infinite subject knowledge you're going to have gaps that's inevitable because Mm. you cannot know all and that's really exciting and let's work out who can attend to those gaps and let's work out who we can have conversations with at either a local or a national level to to keep finding out about our subjects um I know lots of um departments carry out subject knowledge audits now to really start Mm. having those those honest conversations but you know, it's okay not not to be a, a master of all, but um, but that should be expected, and we need to start having really honest conversations about what that looks like. Because only at that point can we start having. You know, if, if you want to teach Greek mythology and you don't necessarily have a classist um, expert or, or Stephen Fry's not wandering by, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. exactly. Then then okay, let's have a conversation about it because we don't want that to be barrier that stops us teaching really fantastic um, content to to students Um, we we don't want our own fear to to get in the way of um, of a high quality curriculum absolutely and what an important conversation for heads of department and senior leaders to have with NQTs or you know recently qualified colleagues who might be feeling a bit lacking in confidence around that and trying to you know and all of us frankly it should be intimidating you know yeah. to, to come in as an NQT and feel like you have a voice even I remember you know even at subject level to feel you have a voice and feel like you had input because it was almost that you hadn't you know earned your stripes and, and you were there to to learn from other people but actually I mean some of the the most fantastic conversations I've had over the last year have been with our, our trainees and our our NQTs because you know that they're coming from um, an undergraduate experience that was so much more recent than mine and and really drawing from yeah from um, that their experiences. Mm. How can we move into a bit of awe and wonder with all this? I know you're reading a book at the minute by uh, Julia Baird. The, is it phosphorescence? Have I said phosphorescence. that right? Oh, yeah. I, I think yeah. I've said that right. 
Mm. So, so I'm in early days, but it, the, the book is, um, it really encapsulates our connection to, um, to the world around us and how we, we deliberately seek that out. We bring ourselves back to find moments that we of awe and wonder mm. um, that, that really, you know, um, sustain us. She talks a great deal about, um, you know, it's very prevalent. She talks about the pandemic and, and how um, that, that connection, that ongoing connection with nature or with, um, with other people has yeah. sustained um, many periods and it's very it's very kind of entrenched in research and and I think that that so much of that resonates with with the conversations around curriculum development in schools and it's like I said I think sometimes when when I have conversations with teachers and and talk about um, the power of curriculum as a tool to improve teacher well-being we almost shy away from that because we know it's not the the primary role of the curriculum but I still think it's a really important one to talk about because mm. this sense of awe and wonder for both students and teachers should be something that we are actively seeking out on a daily basis absolutely yeah. feel better yeah um so I think if we think about what you know what that what that looks like on a practical level um Making that time for these conversations that we've talked about, seeking out subject communities to really learn from one another, um, seeing curriculum as a continual process of review. It's those tiny conversations that make the incremental gains to the quality of what we teach in the classroom. It, it's not a, a, you know, it's not an inset day. It's not a one-off event at the end of the year when everybody's exhausted. Yeah. Actually, it's these tiny daily conversations that. Um, it's that poem, isn't it? The, the kind of it, it talks about the inordinary and the, the moments that we should capture in the, you know, we should um, we should make use of really noticing the ordinary moments for what they are and how impressive they are. And I think for me, that's that's what curriculum is. It's it's noticing the the ordinary moments as really yeah. um, beneficial to to then what we think about and then what we take into the classroom and, and how we share that that story of our subject with students um I think that's how we start we start maybe getting to work on on yeah on improving our curriculum development in schools take notice of the small things because one day you turn around and realize they were the big things yeah I read, I read that recently yeah yeah and I and I think that's I think that's a really nice way to approach organizational change that we sometimes think that organizational change needs to be a showcase moment on a stage and and actually it's those those exchanges those really human moments I think in schools that that develop us and and move us forward as a profession I think overall and that really builds into the idea of how uniquely powerful the teacher is because often it's about the person who has a passion isn't it that inspires the awe and wonder in others you know sometimes you didn't realize that you were interested in astrophysics or whatever it might be but because the person is telling you about it in such a passionate way you're in there you're hooked yeah we used to we used to run a series of master classes which um what we did is actually requested that colleagues sign up for for one voluntarily but it would inordinarily be um their their subject specialism at university or their their kind of their specialist that of one particular aspect of their degree and honestly, I mean, the experience was just, it was such a wonderful way to not only extend the curriculum, because yeah. it was still very much aligned to, to subjects, but also to just find out about um, colleagues' interests and their passions, not just for us, but for, for the students as well. You, but you'd end up with a line of staff in the back of these lectures, because it was just such an enriching experience mm. to 
know, to find out about, there's nothing more addictive, is there, than finding out stuff that you don't know about, you know? Yeah. I I think that's teaching. And what a cohesive thing for a a school staff to do as a community. That's really lovely to, to bring people together. And there's all sorts of then conversations that happen in the corridor after that about, you know, oh my goodness, I didn't know you did X, Y, and Z. Yeah, I mean, we had a we had an, a whole um, lecture about um, how um, insects are used to, um, to in forensic science, and it just blew my mind. <laughs> but, um, you know that that making sure that we are coming back to our core purpose as teachers, that we are making you know as much of our day as a as a learning experience and talking about the, the nature of our subjects and, and teaching and learning as much as possible. It really does. It can it can it can change your entire day, I think. Yeah. Interesting. And what a great oracy task, you know, in, ter- <laughs> in terms of really building an articulate, eloquent speaker, that, that's a lovely platform. Yeah, I mean, we also interleaved kind of local universities within there as well, which was just, I mean, it, it was just a really nice, um, a good all-rounder for, for really demonstrating academia of our subject. Yeah. And lifelong learning that, you know, we're always on that journey. Yeah, honestly, it was just so fulfilling, I think, for yeah. um, the staff and, and so much wonderful feedback from um, from pupils and parents. Great idea. Do you know, I was looking at some of the stuff around Carol Ann Duffy recently and she said about, the, she was talking about the curriculum and she said that she really feels poetry can help children deal with the other subjects on the curriculum because it enables them to see that subject in a new way. Yeah, I, I, I really think, um, I think poetry gets a little bit of a rough deal. Doesn't it just? Because I think it's seen as such a standalone entity. And, and, and what happens then is that it ends up becoming so alien mm. um, to both teachers and, and pupils if we kind of create it as a standalone. I saw really lovely, I worked with a colleague um, in another trust recently for their curriculum to support them with curriculum review. And they'd actually, um, they'd kind of broken apart um poetry as a standalone unit and actually woven aspects of poetry through all of their units as a whole so each each unit had a thematic approach um of a through the ages or a thematic approach but they actually included poetry as an ongoing voice within each of the units and I thought that was really nice because Mm. you're not then teaching the nuts and bolts of poetry but you're demonstrating that poetry is a literary response to historical events so um they looked at Percy Shelley for um the Waterloo um poem and and, you know polemic poetry but but they demonstrated the way that poetry can be used in in response in 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 different ways and and that really does I think break down the barrier to to viewing um you know poetry is yeah a completely separate entity from prose um which I I thought was really quite fantastic I think that yeah if we if we enable students to understand poetry um as a as a response to the human condition or Mm. as a response to historical event um or that you know contextual events around the individual at the time it becomes a far more meaty conversation I think with poetry itself than perhaps the standalone units that we sometimes and and and, you know and they and they can still work I think it's like you said earlier it comes down to the teacher um you know teacher really is our our vessel for for the conversations that we have around poetry for sure yeah yeah, absolutely I always think poetry is the cordial of language you know and if we can just put it put it in the mouths and hands of our young people so they're familiar and happy with it yeah you know and if you call it a lyric that's fine (laughs) because it's the same 
I taught my 12 year old um he learned Osmandius off by heart during lockdown as um yeah this is where, where we reached on something to do awesome. well he'll know that <laughs> um, forever he'll be reciting that it, in his exactly 40s. but now yeah but now you can you know you can conjure him up and, and request and he'll probably remember you know eight lines at least but um but yeah we talked a great deal about kind of the the voice of poetry um mm. and, and understanding that that's that's very much in the hands of you as the interpreter um that of course there's a foundational kind of footing when it comes yeah. to teaching poetry but ultimately that's that's down to the individual experience and and that's really empowering for students absolutely yeah they can make it their own mm. what they see in it is not wrong so before we finish up let's just have a little think about some of your maybe tips for the summer holiday I did wonder if you might give us a little football prediction for Sunday night. Every time I say something, I have a meeting with a colleague at work every time there's an England match. And every time I, I say something about it, we win. So you never know. Um, I'll just, I'll, um, yeah, I'll make sure I have a meeting with him before Sunday. <laughs> well, I, I, let's hope let's hope that those predictions are all in our favour. Although I did see that an Italian co- comic had taken the, um, the England flag, it's coming home and crossed out the H and put an R. <laughs> And said it's coming to Rome. It was like, no. Oh, they, they can hope. <laughs> That's not right. <laughs> and and what would you suggest for us all? You know, we, we're clawing our way to the end of term. We're not far away now. Summer holiday yeah. tips. Um, in Stop Talking About Wellbeing, I, I talk about this nature of the beast with teaching. But if you speak to teachers, actually, the first couple, the first two weeks of the holidays are probably the toughest time because we're acclimatising from 180 miles an hour to mm-hmm. zero. And it's that pressure of I'm on holiday, so I must relax. That almost almost undoes the process of relaxing. So my my advice very much would would be, you know, make really, really loose plans. Um, make sure you keep that sense of of routines but on your terms um and just make the most I don't think we've we've ever had a summer that has been more um well earned I think than than this one so yeah I think very much um you know uh, well-being on on your terms and your definition of it is very much the the strap line here I think like that well-being on your terms I'm going to get a t-shirt like it awesome cat we're just so grateful that you could find some time to talk to us thank you so much really interesting to hear all your insights thank you so much for having me we hope you enjoyed listening to this word up podcast from oxford education to find out more about the oxford smart curriculum read the curriculum direction paper and have your say please visit www.oxfordsecondary.com forward slash smart